If you have a Bible with you today, I'd like you to open me to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 17 and we will begin in verse 11. Luke chapter 17 and verse 11. And today we're going to look at a fairly well-known passage of uh, Scripture from the account of uh, Jesus' life. And it's the healing of the ten lepers. And it highlights uh, not only the miraculous power that Jesus had, but, uh, but also the utter ingratitude of man. Now understand when I say the, the ingratitude of man, I'm not talking about man as opposed to women. I'm, I'm talking about man as in mankind. Okay, And so uh, we see the ingratitude of man. We see the miraculous power that Jesus had. And, um, and ingratitude is a problem that we all wrestle with. And personally, it really, ingratitude really bothers me. You know, sometimes you give a gift to somebody or you do something nice for somebody. And sometimes it's met with indifference and just kind of grates on you. You know, it's like, why, why in the world would she even turn around and say thank you? And then I look in the mirror and realize that sometimes I do the same thing uh, to, to people. And sometimes, many times, I do the same thing with God. He, he will answer a prayer and sometimes I don't turn around and say thanks. And that is, um, that is a failure on my part. But I suspect I'm probably not alone. Now, um, the, the thing about this account with the, the ten lepers is one of them not only gets what he has asked for, but he also has uh, some spiritual uh, uh, things that happen with him as well that the other nine do not. And so what we're going to see today is, is this healing of the ten lepers. We're also going to see Jesus is, in this passage, in the next one that we look at, he's talking about what the kingdom of God is like. And he, in our passage today, he corrects the Pharisees, and next time he will correct misapprehensions of the disciples. So if you found Luke 17 in your able, I'd like you to stand with me in honor of uh, God's word. We'll pick up in verse 11 and read down to verse 21. It said, While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no, was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go, your faith has made you well. Now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, the first thing I want you to see in our text today is the plea for mercy. The plea for mercy. If you look again at verse 11, um, Luke is careful to remind us that Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. Now, I have mentioned that several times over the last few weeks as we've uh, worked our way through the Gospel of Luke, and, and I've, I've tried to remind you over and over that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. This is his last trip before he is crucified, but, uh, but Luke has not mentioned it for quite a while, but he wants to keep it in the forefront of our mind that that is where Jesus is headed. Even, even as he has set his face like a, like a flint to, to go to Jerusalem where he's going to die and, and bear the sins of many on, on his body on the tree, he still stops and he will have compassion on these, on these pitiful men, these lepers who are in bad, bad shape. Now, uh, he's traveling. If you'll notice what it says in uh, the first part of the verse, it says that he is passing between Samaria and Galilee. 
Now that doesn't mean a whole lot to us, but, but he's traveling along the border and he's going from place to place. And most likely as he's, he's stopping at a village here and then he'll go over yonder and he'll stop at a village there. And, and he's probably traversing back and forth across the border between Galilee, which is mainly a, a, a Gentile area, and Samaria, which is where the bad people live. And he's going back and forth. And, and uh, Galilee was not seen, even though it was a Gentile place, it wasn't seen as like a bad place. But Samaria, and we've talked about this in the past, Samaria was quite the bad place. And it wasn't, it wasn't that, that Samaritans, it's not like Samaria was the island of the misfit toys. You know, where all the broken toys go and all the, all the, all the defective toys go. It's not like all the undesirables got shipped off to Samaria. But rather, Samaria was thought to be a bad place. And if you were from Samaria, you in turn were bad. And the reason for that, you'll remember, is Samaria used to be a Jewish place. And then Gentiles got brought in uh, with, the, with the deportation back in the Old Testament. And so Gentiles got brought in, and the Jews mixed their pagan ways with the worship of God. And so it, was either, it either replaced the worship of God or it got mixed in with the worship of God. And so the, the Samaritans had a, didn't have a complete canon of Scripture. They had defective beliefs, defective worship. I mean, they, 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 were, they were not in a good place spiritually. And because they had all this Jewish or all this Gentile influence, the Jews saw them as half-breeds. They saw them as, as half-breeds, as less than Jewish, and so they were just kind of a, a, a step below. And they, they saw them as, as so undesirable, they wouldn't even speak to them if they had the opportunity. They certainly wouldn't go through Samaria unless it was absolutely necessary, because they thought that the, just the dirt from Samaria would defile them. And so here's Jesus. He's... He, he doesn't pay attention to any of that. He'll go in Galilee, he'll go in Samaria, and he's just going back and forth as he's working his way along on that border. And I, I want you to notice what it says in, um, in verse 12, because the language that, you, uh, that Luke uses is significant. It's, it's very specific. It says, As he entered a certain village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. Now these lepers were not in the village. This is as he was going in. Before he got there, they caught up with him. And the reason for that is because these lepers, you've heard of a leper colony before, the lepers had a skin disease that was extremely contagious. And the Old Testament law said that these certain things were skin diseases and different things that would get you kicked out of the community, basically. You're quarantined. Now, that's kind of a key word today, quarantine. We all know about quarantine. They didn't quarantine the whole society. They said the sick people are quarantined, so uh, the, the well people don't get sick. And that's the way it's been done throughout history until 2020. But that's, that's the way they did it. And so the, the, the lepers were all kind of cordoned off in their own little area, and they tend to congregate together, and they'd make a colony. They'd make a group of people that all had the same condition. And so they didn't get to go into the village, and so they caught Jesus outside the village. And also what they had to do, because what they had was contagious is if they approached somebody who is not sick, or somebody who is not sick approached them, they would, they would have to cover their, their face, their mouth, with a cloth and call out, Unclean! Unclean! And the reason for that is so people around them would know, hey, give that person a wide berth. You don't want to touch that person. You don't want to go near that person because you don't want what they have. And so that's why it says in verse 12 that they met him at a distance. Because as, as he was approaching... They called out, unclean, unclean. And so there's this distance. 
They didn't go to Jesus. He didn't touch them. He didn't, he, he didn't do any of that that he did in some of the other places. Now, verse 13 says that with one voice, they, they, they called out and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They pled for help. They begged him as a master. They knew who he was, at least they knew to some extent, because they knew his reputation. They knew he could heal the sick. Probably, probably word has spread that he had healed some lepers. And so, so they knew that he could do these things. He called, they called him master. They begged him to do these things. And the next thing I want you to see is the journey to wellness. The journey to wellness. They beg for mercy, and Jesus does something really weird. And he, he, the thing that he does is nothing. Jesus' response to their plea for help is to not do anything. And that's kind of odd because other places, when somebody would call to Jesus for help, what would he do? Even if it was a leper. Sometimes he would do things like lay his hands on them. Other times he would maybe speak to the sick. In one place, he spit on the ground and made clay and put it in a blind man's eyes. In one place, he put his fingers in a deaf man's ears. And he did all these different ways of healing, and some of them are kind of odd. But here, he doesn't do anything, at least not yet. Instead, he gives them a task. He says, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, why would he have said, go show yourselves to the priests? The priests can't do anything to make them well. Why has he sent them to the priests? Well, the reason is because back in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, you know, you're, you're read through the Bible and you're a um, widowmaker. I mean, you, you just you get to Leviticus and that's it. In Leviticus, what it says is that there are all these things that could get you quarantined from the society. And, and the person who would determine whether you got to go into, into society or be kicked out of society was the priest. And so you would go to the priest. God had said, this is what you look for, for you know, skin diseases and stuff like that. The priest would look at it. Uh, the, these requirements would look at you and say, you're good to be in a society. You're not good to be in society. You've got to go out. And then, not only did he get to kick somebody out, it's not that he got to, he had to, but not only did, did he have that function, but also when somebody believed that they were healed and that they were now well, they would have to go back to the priest. The priest would inspect them. And then they would certify them to be able to come back into society. And so when Jesus says, go to the priest, if they don't do that, they don't get to go back into society. Because they have to, be, uh, they have to get the, the clear from the priest. But on top of that, in, in Luke chapter 5, there was another uh, situation where Jesus heals some lepers. And there he says, go show yourselves to the priest as a testimony to them. Because the priest would see these lepers... Yeah, I remember certifying you as, as being leprous, and, and, and you've been out of the community forever long. How did you? How are you made well? Well, this man named Jesus did this miraculous act. It, it was a testimony to them about Jesus. And so, so Jesus looks at these men, again, not touching them, not doing anything to them, and he gives them the task of going to the priests. And at this point, remember, these men had not been healed. At, at the point of their departure, they were still leprous. At, at the point of their departure, Jesus seems to have failed them. He hadn't pronounced them clean. He didn't touch them. He didn't spit on the ground and put anything on them. He didn't do anything. He just said, go show yourselves to the priests. 
and, and yet they went. They were obedient. They had at least some amount of faith because on their way, that's when they were healed. That's when they got what they requested as they were obedient to Christ. And as they were going, Jesus healed them from a distance. We, we, it doesn't say he spoke a word. It just by the sheer force of his will, he healed them from a distance. Next thing I want you to see is the giving of thanks. The giving of thanks, verse 15. When one of them who had been made well, he saw that, he's, he was still headed to the priest, but he makes a detour. He says, you know what, this is a tremendous, amazing, miraculous, fantastic, stupendous, it's a good it's happened to me. I've got to go back and say thank you. And so he goes back to Jesus. He's still headed to the priest, but he stops back by and says thank you to Jesus. And it's interesting because in, in verse 13, all ten of them raised their voice in petition. And here in verse uh, 15, he raises his voice in praise. It says he cried out with a loud voice and gave, gave glory to God. He, raised, he, he made a ruckus. And no doubt his companions who were traveling with him, they knew what had happened. They knew that they'd been made well. I mean, if, if you have parts of your body that are diseased and you don't have feeling in them and, and through the course of, of time and injury and stuff like that, I mean, you've just, you just got sores all over, you got, you're just in bad shape, and all of a sudden you don't have that, you know it. And even if, even if, even if they didn't know it themselves, when all of a sudden Tom next to him starts hooping and hollering, He's healed, he's healed. Hey, maybe I should look at myself too. Because I'm, I'm on the same road to see the same priest as he is. I've talked to the same Jesus. They know what's happened to them. And yet none of them turn and go back and thank Jesus. Now some have suggested they were still being obedient. They went on to the priest. But the Bible doesn't say that they saw the priest and then went back. They just, they just pass off the scene. They got what they wanted and they never turned around and said thanks. And I just want to pause for a moment and ask, what about you? What about you? None of us are lepers here, but, but we're quick to go to God when we're hurting. We're quick to pray when we have trouble in our lives. When we need Him, we seek Him, we find Him, we pray, we pour out our hearts. We say, God, please work in this situation. We may even say, this is what I would like to see happen. And... Even when God answers our prayers in the precise way that we've asked, how many times are we like those nine? We never turn around and say thanks. I've used this, this terminology before. It's earthy, but it's true. Sometimes we're like a, a bunch of old hogs out under an oak tree. We're happy to eat the acorns, but we never look up to see the tree it came from. And sometimes God will shower gifts upon us. He'll answer our prayers. He'll do good in our lives. And we're happy to eat those acorns, but we never turn our eyes to the sky to see where those gifts came from. God will answer our prayers. Well, we say, God, please help me in this way. I'm hurting. I've got this situation in my life. And then God answers that prayer, and all of a sudden it's no longer a pain and we say, oh, that's all right, God, don't bother. I got it. Well, he's the one that made it better. He's the one that brought the relief or the comfort. People are ungrateful and God notices. Look at, verse, uh, look at what Jesus says. Verse 17. He says, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? It's not like Jesus said, ah, 
Yeah, I don't mind. He says, where they at? I did this, I did this miraculous thing. Where are the nine? And maybe today you're, you've been one of the nine, and maybe the thing you need to get out of this is you need to spend some time thanking God for prayers that you've prayed and He's answered. You've happily received the answer to the prayer. You've gotten it from His hand, but you haven't bothered to turn around and say thanks. That's, that's not good. And here's, here's the real kick in the teeth. Look at verse 9 again. Or sorry, not verse 9. Um, um, verse, uh, was that? Verse, verse 18. Sorry, I'm, my, I might need some spectacles one of these days. Um, Jesus says, where are the nine? Were there, was there just the one who come back and he's a foreigner? Now, he's not dogging on the Samaritan because where he was born. But what he's saying is, it's, it's, this is not a big deal because of the man's heritage. It's a big deal. He's marveling about this because here's a Samaritan who does not have the Hebrew, all the Hebrew scriptures that the Jews had. They had a defective worship. There were, they were in error in many ways theologically in their thoughts about God. And yet here's a man who has all these disadvantages. And you look at all ten of them and you say, if anybody's going to come back, it's these nine Jews who are with this one Samaritan. Because they know about God. They know about the, the healings that God's done in the Old Testament. They know about all these things. They're going to be the ones to come back. They have all the advantages. And Jesus says it's not them. It's the one who is the foreigner who doesn't have that. And he, 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 he's, he, he's the one that comes back and gives thanks. The other nine there's no peep from. And I want you to notice verse 19. Jesus tells the man to stand up. Now he's well. He can come close to people again. And so he does. He doesn't call out unclean. He just comes up to Jesus, casts himself at Jesus' feet. Jesus says to get up and go because his faith has made him well. Now, how is his condition different from the other nine? I want you to consider that. How is his condition different than the other nine? Because the, the other nine had their, their leprosy cleansed as well. And yet Jesus is somehow pronouncing something different, something special, unique with this man. His faith has made him well. Well, this man, they, they all got their bodies fixed. This man had something different because uh, that verse, a, a, a different rendering of that could be, your faith has saved you. All ten of them got their skin restored. One of them had his soul restored as well. The nine got their bodies fixed, but they went off and didn't think anything about Jesus. The one got his body fixed, and he got his destination fixed too. He's going to go to heaven. His faith has saved him. Jesus did good to ten people, but only one of them got saved. Now don't think because you've received some goodness from God that you are necessarily a Christian. You become a Christian not because God's done something good to you. You become a Christian by faith. Your faith is what saves you. It, it's, it's when you put your faith in Jesus and what He's done on the cross and that alone. That's the only way of salvation. And you say, well, what about this goodness I've received? As Jesus said, God causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. All people are beneficiaries of the grace of God. That does not necessarily mean that you are saved if you've experienced that. Only one of these ten 
got saved. 90% of them just got their bodies fixed. The question that you need to ask is whether or not you're that one or if you're in the 90%. Are you one of those people whose faith has saved you, not because it's some meritorious work, but because you have exercised that faith and trusted Christ alone for salvation? Now, once you see in verses 20 and 21, the correction of the Pharisees. The correction of the Pharisees. Verse 20. The Pharisees have asked him about the timing of the kingdom. That's not an an outrageous question. Because way back at the beginning of his ministry, his forerunner, John the Baptist, came onto the scene. And he was preaching and calling people to repent. And what was the reason for that repentance? He said, repent for, here's the reason why, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus preached about the kingdom of God and and how it was there. And the, the, the question they brought up is... When's this going to happen? How are we going to know when, when, when it's happening? It says they questioned him about when the kingdom of God was coming. They, were, they thought it was still far off. And so Jesus corrects them, and he tells them that the nature of the kingdom is different from what they're expecting. They expect some, some loud, flashy event that everybody's going to look at and say, Oh, here's the kingdom of God. God's inaugurating it. He's initiating it. Here's the Messiah. He's coming in. Going to overthrow Rome. Going to be all this, all this military conquest. Going to restore the kingdom of David. Everything's going to be the golden age again. That's going to be the Messiah. That's what they're expecting. And, and Jesus says, No, things are different from what you're, what you're thinking. The nature of the kingdom is pervasive. It spreads silently. It's not localized in some epicenter. But to use a a picture that he uses about the kingdom elsewhere in the book of Luke, it's like yeast that makes its way through the dough. It's it's pervasive. Or to use another image that he he uses in that same passage, it's like a tiny little mustard seed. It starts out real small, but it grows and grows and grows and becomes this massive tree. In other words, the kingdom of God is is not going to come like they expected. It's not going to be loud and flashy where people are going to be like, here it is. Or there it is. Jesus instead says in verse 21, The kingdom of God is in your midst. It was in their midst because Jesus was in their midst. And his activity was ushering in the kingdom. As he was doing things like healing the lepers, that's the kingdom breaking in into history. That's the kingdom breaking into the world. That's just a foretaste of what the kingdom is going to be like when it's completed, when it's consummated. Now, some have looked at this when it says it's in your midst, and some translations render that it's within you. And so some people look at that and say, oh, well, Jesus is talking about its spiritual nature and so forth. But look at verse 20 again. Who is he talking to? He's not talking to the disciples. He's talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were not followers of Christ. These are not Christians. And so he's not saying that these unsaved people, these non-Christians, have the kingdom of God within their hearts. That's not what he's saying. He's saying it's in your midst. It's already happening. And what you need to do, Jesus is saying, is is to, to trust the Messiah who's standing right in front of you for salvation and entrance into that kingdom. And I want to tell you today that that is what you need to do if you have not entered into the kingdom. You need to trust God. Jesus said to Nicodemus, if you would see the kingdom of God, you must be what? Born again. You must be born again. You must put your faith in Christ. You must trust Him for salvation. He is your only hope of getting in. He said, I am the door. 
You enter in through the door. He is the good shepherd. Salvation is found in no one else. No other name given to, uh, under heaven given among men by which we must be saved except Jesus Christ. Him alone. And the question is, would you trust Him today? Or maybe you're like these lepers. You've gotten good from God's hand. He's answered your prayers. He's been faithful to you. And yet, you've not been very good about saying thanks. Some years ago, we had a situation in our lives that was a prolonged situation. And there was a specific prayer that I prayed over and over and over again for a specific outcome. And then it finally happened. And I'm, I'm talking like years, almost every day. Pray for this one event to happen. And I decided after it had happened, I was so grateful, so thankful, that maybe I should pray as many times saying thank you as I prayed to, for that to happen. And I'm going to confess, it was a lot easier to pray that it happened than it was to go back and say thank you for years. And again, I'm not saying that proudly. But I suspect, that, again, that, that, that you might have some, some similar uh, experience. God answers your prayers. And how easy it is to take those, those, those answers and turn and be a boy, sure, I'm glad that happened. Or maybe give a cursory, thanks God, a tip of the hat. Now, we need to be, we need to be as earnest in our thanks as we are in our, our asking. And maybe that's what you need to do today is just take some time just to say thank you. About, not just thanks God for all the good stuff, but, but thank you about this specific thing I prayed for, and here's when you answered it. Thank you. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Why don't we stand together as musicians come? And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just want you to, to think about your prayers. What have, you, what have you asked for? What have you asked God to do lately that he's done? You pray that God would work in a situation. You pray that God would help here, would move there. That he would save your friend, your family member. He bring healing. He bring comfort. That he would help you get through this week. And those things that you've prayed for, how many of those have you turned around and said thank you? Right about that job situation at work. Pray about all these different things. How many times have you said thank you? Maybe you're like that one. You've done a great job of coming back and saying thank you. 
And you can always say thank you again. You, can always, you always can say thank you for saving your soul. Or it could be that God has not saved your soul. You are not a Christian. Maybe today you need to step out in faith. And at the end of the day, you could say your faith saved you. Not because you've earned it, not because you deserve it. Because that's what God requires for you to exercise your faith and trust Him for salvation. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, the innumerable blessings you've given us. And God, we thank you that we uh, have received so much from your hand, and we're sorry that we have turned and just ignored the giver and just focus on the gift. And Lord, we do thank you for those specific things. And God, I pray that this week you'd help us to be mindful of those answers to prayer and that we'd be like that one that would come back and give you glory. And Lord, if there's somebody who's listening to me today that's never accepted Christ as their Savior, I pray that you would draw them to yourself and that you would save them not because of good that they've done, but because of what Christ has done. In Jesus' name, amen.